So good to be with you today. Um, we're going to be, we, we started a series last week um, in the book of Exodus. And this series is called, um, it will be in Exodus chapter 12 um, and 13 today. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen here for you in just a few minutes. And uh, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. And as we talk about this, here's the thing. God saves people through his grace and through his redemptive acts in history. In the Old Testament, he redeemed his people out of Israel through the shedding of blood of a lamb. But it was pointing towards this, that a, the perfect lamb, because there is no way that a sheep or a goat could stand as a substitute for a human and could cover our sins. But see, what happened was in Christ, Jesus was the perfect lamb. He was slain on a cross so that we would have a substitute, somebody who would cover our sins so that the judgment of God would pass over us. And so here's the deal. God saves his people, but he doesn't just save us. He moves us. God doesn't just save us and leave us where we are. He does meet us where we are, which is amazing. Because if you think about this, if you are in Christ, there was a point in your life when God had to, he really had to condescend to come to you. Okay? Me too. He met you where you were. When you didn't have any hope, when you only had your sins to bring, and your sins were like scarlet, your sins stood out. But in his grace, he comes and he meets us where we are. So here's the good thing about the fact that we serve a God that meets us where we are. You don't have to, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to fake it. So you don't have to come in and be like, hey, brother, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm holy in the Lord, okay? You don't have to walk in with that. You can walk in jacked up. You can walk in saying, man, I've had a rough week. Man, I know I've had, I've had hope, but my peace is lacking this week. Man, I've been struggling with this or that. You can say those things when you walk in because here's the good news. God meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He met his people when they were in bondage in Israel. They cried out to him in distress, and they said, God, save us, and he does. He sends the plagues, and ultimately he sends the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn on the Egyptians, and then he brings his people out of Egypt. He doesn't, he just, he doesn't just save them, but then he moves them. Now, remember what Paul said about these passages and this Old Testament story about God bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. He said this, now these things took place as examples for us. And so what we have here in the Exodus is we see God meeting his people where they are and bringing them out. And we see what Paul would say about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. He said, now these things, all the Old Testament stories, especially the Exodus, are meant to be examples to us that we might, that we might not desire evil. So the examples of the Israelites is there to help us not sin. The second thing we see is that in verse 11, he says, now these things happened to them, the Old Testament stories, the Exodus, but they're written down for us, for our instruction and so we, have, we are instructed in how to live the Christian life, and we are instructed, in, instructed about the dangers of, of evil desires through these stories. And so we can see in this story of God bringing his people out that he, he saves us, but he doesn't leave us where he found us. So if you would, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 29. 
And this is what I was talking about. God's people, they're in bondage in, in Egypt. At this point in history, Egypt is the major superpower in the world. You know, this is where they got the pyramids. They got, uh, they got the biggest armies. They got the, the pharaoh with the cool headdresses with a cobra on it. Okay, the stuff you've seen at the Smithsonian, all that has taken place. This is the apex, the height of the Egyptian domination of the world. And we pick up in verse 29. It says, at midnight, the Lord had warned this, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the first of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn and livestock. So the angel of the Lord came by, and every firstborn in this house and every household was killed. This is a this is a stark, difficult moment in the life of Egypt. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among the people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. So Pharaoh calls him in, give me Moses and Aaron, get them in here, and I want you to tell them something. Get out. There's been ten plagues that have come. The river, the Nile, had turned to blood. That was bad. Their livestock had died. The frogs had come. All of these things had come upon them, showing that, that they needed to let the people go. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so he did not let the people go. But on the 10th plague, he was like, y'all got to go. I don't know if you've ever had this before, where you just tell somebody, you got to go, okay? I don't know, like, whatever. You just got to go. And these people had overstayed their welcome. But I want you to see here, when we have this, this thing, this, when we think about the last plague, it's kind of harsh, the death of every firstborn in Egypt. I want, you to, I want you to recognize a few things about this, though. This is the 10th plague. This is not the first plague. Well, you got a kid, and you're warning that kid, the first warning is kind of like just a shot over the bow, just to say, stop doing that. Anybody been there? You were looking at me like you've never had to get onto a kid before, okay? All right? Uh, you have, right? And so the first time you're like, don't do it. Second time you're like, if you do that. If it gets to 10 times, well, first off, it wouldn't have gotten to 10 times to me, right? Three or four, and it's like, okay, and we're having an issue, okay? 10? Oh, boy. Any punishment that comes at 10 is worth it. It's going to be... It's going to be a nuclear option. And God is showing here his patience with this man, Pharaoh, who has hardened his heart. So this is an evidence. I know it sounds harsh that God would kill the firstborn, but it's actually God's patience. Secondly, Pharaoh claims to, if you look at Egyptian culture at the time, Pharaoh was seen not just as Pharaoh, but as a god. And throughout history, especially in, in antiquity, a lot of the ways that rulers solidified their rule was to claim to be deity themselves. And so what we have here is God, by redeeming the people of Israel, showing that he is God. And Pharaoh is claiming that he is God over the people by saying, no, I won't release the people to you, God, and Moses and Aaron as his, as his underlings. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show that I am more powerful. And so what we have here is a contest Pharaoh is pretending to be God. And I want you to notice this. If you look at the end of this verse, 
Um, and verse, uh, so verse 12, go down to um, verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up, if this is of uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where no one was dead. Then verse 31, then he summoned, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, Go serve the Lord. This word in some translations is actually translated worship the Lord. So service and worship are together together linked. And so what Pharaoh was saying, you used to serve me, worship me, people of Israel. At least that's what I tried to impose on you. But now you go serve the Lord. And what is this an example of? The fact that God is the victor in his people's lives. I want you to get this. A lot of time, we hear a lot of things about victory in the Christian church. And I want you to know something. If, our, if we are claiming victory ourselves, we are wrong. We, have a, we are too self-focused. You know what? You think about being self-focused, just be married. And you'll see real quick that you, think, you might think you're like an others-focused person. Just get married and have them lose something that's yours. Hey, where is that? I don't know. In a whirling dervish of cleaning, I threw it somewhere. Ah! Okay? And then your world goes from being about, I'm serving other people, to like, how could you lose my stuff? I know I'm a slob. You get a, you're getting a window into our marriage, okay? I know I'm a slob, but I know where my junk is 24-7. I know it's not where it's supposed to be because I put it where it's supposed to be. You moved it to where it's not supposed to be. And then all of uh, amen, right? You hear this, guys. You moved it. You don't move my stuff. Not the important stuff. You can pick up my clothes off the ground, but you don't move my wallet. I'm talking about being selfish. That was my wife yelling at me, by the way. Because it's totally true. If you don't see how self-centered and self-absorbed you are, that, that's an example of it. Because it's my stuff, my thing, how you could do this to me. You forget about all the good things. You become very enamored. And so if you are talking about, and it's been so many Christian circles, people talking about victory. Our victory is not something that we can win, and it's not something that comes from us. See, we are radically dependent people. If you are in, if you are in Christ, you are a radically dependent person. And even from the first example of God saving his people, which would ultimately point to the ultimate example of Jesus saving his people, the Lamb of God, whose blood covers sin. What we see here is that the victory that the people have is God's victory, and he lets us share in the spoils. And so we don't fight, and you might have heard this before, we don't fight for the victory, we fight from the victory, and the victory that we walk in is not ours, it's his. And so you can't go around claiming victory in your own name and going around saying, in, in, in my name, do this, in my name, do this. No, in his name, doors will be open, in his name, strongholds will come down, in his name, in his name, anxiety will be defeated. In his name and in his power, the church must do its work. And the, the people of God in the Old Testament, it's God's victory, not theirs. And we have to have a radically God-focused understanding of it. Now, we, here's the thing. Here's why we get messed up. We reap the benefits of his victory. Go down to the next part. 
down in verse 33 of Exodus chapter 12. It says this, the Egyptians were urgent with the people. Get out. (laughs) They were urgent to send them out of the land in haste. Go. For they said, we're all going to be dead if you don't let this people go. Verse 34, so the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading bowls being bound in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, and they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord God had given the people favor in the sights of the Egyptians so that they might let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So get this. Not only are the people redeemed and leaving, but as they're leaving... They're like, hey, Egyptians, they're like, get out of here. Just go. If you stay, we're all going to die. So just leave. Oh, yeah. Can we have silver and gold? And they're like taking off their, okay. It's like that Tim McGraw song. Oh, please don't take the girl. Okay. He's giving his wristwatch and all that kind of jazz. We're in Nashville. It's okay around there. So, I mean, he's giving everything. Like, here, take it. Take my watch. Take this. Take my jewels. Here, just go. And so, you know what, you know what would happen when a, a victorious army in, the, in antiquities would, when they would leave, you know what they would, they would leave with? They would march out of the city, usually carrying captives with them, but also carrying all the plunders of the place that has just been conquered. So I know it looks like, the, like Israel's refugees, but they're actually winning. And the way they're walking out in victory is now they're getting all this silver and gold, and God is showing himself to be the victor in their life. So I wanted to get this. We don't fight from the victory. We, fight f- we don't fight for the victory. We fight from his victory. His victory that we can walk in, this faith and the power of faith that we can walk in, is not from us. It's from God. Second, uh, thirdly, what we see is this. All of God's blessings to us, his salvation and everything, are meant not for our glory, but for his. And I just want you to see this very quick. Do you know why they got the silver and gold? They're going to do stupid things with the silver and gold if you fast forward in the story. They're going to melt all of it down and worship a calf when Moses goes, Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. It's a big mess. God has done all this stuff for them, and they're like, as soon as Moses is off, they're like, hey, we're, we're getting a little nervous. Let's make a cow with all of the gold that, and silver that we got. So they completely miss God. So it's not about them. Why, why do we see this triumphant leaving of his people? To show God's power. Let me ask you this, and just as a real question, and contemplate this. Who's getting glory for your life? Like when someone looks in your life, are they saying, man, what a great guy, what a great lady? Or are they saying, what a great mom, what a great dad? Or are they saying, oh man, what a great God they serve? Because every blessing and every victory and and our salvation is not about us ultimately, it's about the glory of God and showing him to be great. And because we are so narcissistic, by example, I'll give you an example of my life when I was talking about my wallet being gone. We can be so narcissistic, so self-focused, that we need this story to show us that this is not about us. It's about God's glory. The, the, he brought the people out of Egypt to show that he was, he was God of gods. He was God of Pharaoh. That he is the Lord Almighty with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And in your life, you were, you were saved not, for, not just so you wouldn't go to hell and not just so that you could be a believer and not just so you, you were saved for good works for his glory. 
So if you wake up in the morning, you exist to make God known. That's why you are here on the planet. That's why you get up and go to work. I know you may not think that. You're like, I get up and go to work. I'm not going to pay the bills. No, you ultimately, your calling and your purpose is for the glory of God. And that's what his salvation has brought here. And that's what we see. That's why the Egyptians were throwing money at them. This is not telling you if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That is not true. And it was never true here. And it was not going to be true ever. But anytime he gives you a blessing, it's for his glory. Now we also, we go down. We look in verse 37, and I want you to see how big this movement is. In verse 37, it says this, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sakath, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. So this is not a small group that's being led out. Like We go to youth camp. We're going to youth camp here shortly. And um, that's usually between 800 and 1,000 kids, teenagers, 6th through 12th grade. And their adult counterparts who act like sixth, sixth through twelfth graders, right? Just for fun. So when we go there, that's eight hundred to a, you know, uh, eight hundred to a thousand kids, and that's a lot of kids. When you see them all walking one direction, you see them all worshiping. Passion Conference, which has come up in a couple, of, you know, it happens every January. It's one of the major gatherings of Christian uh, young adults uh, for the glory of Jesus. When you go there this year, they're meeting in the Mercedes Benz Dome in Atlanta. I think it holds eighty thousand people. That's 80,000. That's a lot of people. The traffic, when 80,000 gets out, I mean, we had at the NFL draft, there was about, I think they said two or 300,000 people down there. I heard estimates higher than that, but they, there are, there was, that's a lot of people. But when they left Egypt, the Israelites, there was 600,000 men, not counting the women and children. So Moses is leading this band out of Egypt. That's about 2 million people. If you include the women, average with the women and, and children approximately. This, this shows also the epic scale of God's deliverance. You would think, man, it would be easy to get a couple thousand people or maybe 20,000 people to leave this land. But Pharaoh had this army of slaves that was helping build his kingdom. It was two million in number and scope. And God saves all of these people. How mighty of a God who can do such a salvation. And then we go on and we see this is not just, this is not just the Israelites. There's actually folks of, 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 a different, of different faith backgrounds and different ethnicities that are included. In verse 38, it says, A mixed multitude also went up from them, and the livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened bread cakes um, of the dough that they had brought from Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now, notice this. So God has brought this huge group out, and I want you to see the second thing. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Talk about a wait. They had been in the beginning of the people of Israel being in Egypt. It was a good thing. And, and they, had, they had people on their side, and then they became slaves. And so God heard their cry for help and their enslavement. But it took 430 years for him to come through with salvation. He came through, but it took 430 years. Let's say each generation of your family was, lived to be 100, okay? That would be 
great-great-great-great-grandmother's generation that was back there. So this is a long time to wait for God's salvation. And it says in verse 41, at the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So 430 years to the day, God had it scheduled. They couldn't see it. But on, on the exact date that 430 years that God had on his calendar, bring the people out of Egypt on that very day. And then it says this, it was night, it was a night of watching to the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So that same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout the generations. And so there was a celebration of the fact that God had brought them out, but it took a long time. Can we agree that 430 years is a long time? If you go back in time and history from now to 430 years ago, none, almost none of the stuff that we do, phones, no, there's this great video of some, some like teenagers trying to use a rotary phone. It's awesome. Now, I only, we had a rotary phone only because um, uh, we were in military housing, okay? I mean, we never had, I, we usually had the, the dial tone thing. I grew up in the era with like the wireless phone, you know, that you still was plugged in, but you could walk away. But, you know, my parents had the, it's fantastic. You think about that. That is only what that's been, the rotary phone's only been 40, 50 years, maybe. Maybe not even that one, 30 years. And now, like, the computer that sent the man to the moon, we have more operating, like, exponentially more operating power in the phone in our pocket than the, the computer they used to send the guy to the moon. And we've been to the moon. Four and 30 years ago, we were still thinking lots of things that were wrong. We thought about an Earth-centered universe. It, I just wanted to get this. We, we've come a long way, and a lot has happened in 430 years. Can you imagine? God's going to keep, fulfill his promise, but it took him 430 years to do it. It was on his timetable. God continually works in the same way. God is the God that never changes, and it does not go according to plan. In fact, if you'll jump down with me, because this first part is about, this first part of our, our message here, or th- this part of our message is about God moving his people. Jump, jump down into Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Note it's been 430 years. Verse 17 says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with them, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved up from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And so here's the second thing I want you to see. God not only waits 430 years to save them, but he says, and this is very important, if you look in verse 17, they send, he sends them the wrong way. At least if we're thinking it's the wrong way. In verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Let me tell you something. Between where they were in Egypt and the land of the Philistines was about 100 miles. Straight shot. What is the shortest distance between two points? A straight line. 
But God, knowing in his providence that he did not want, the people were not ready to go through the land of the Philistines and had to fight the Philistines, he sent them in the most backwards way ever. Apple Maps is one of the worst things that has ever been invented by Apple. When that came out, you would put in your destination, and they would not have roads. You'd be on a road. You'd be like you're in the mid- middle of a mountain range on a road, and they were like, this road doesn't exist. Jump off. I mean, like, it was like, well, I don't know what to do. And sometimes they would say, especially if you went to a downtown area and you were using Apple Maps, if there was one-way streets, it was telling you to turn on to one-way, one-way streets the wrong way. It was just a tremendous nightmare. It was one of the biggest flops Apple has ever had. And they were trying to compete with Google Maps. And it was just terrible. And so to get someplace, you would always have to go around the corner the wrong way to get there, okay? God's not like Apple Maps. He knows what he's doing, okay? He's not trying to send you the wrong way on purpose or for without a purpose. He's not lost because here's the deal. To go from where they were in Egypt to where, to where they were going, which was Canaan, it's a straight line through the Philistines to get there, 100 miles, basically. But he sent them, and that would be northeast. He sends them southeast, but significantly southeast, to go down to where Mount Sinai is, where they're going to get the Ten Commandments and all that kind of good stuff. He probably sends them about four or 500 miles out of their way. Why? On purpose. First off, he waited 430 years. We don't understand why. His, his timetable is not ours. But we see, he gives us an example that God does have a plan and a purpose in our life. We see this in, in verse, uh, in, in verse uh, 17. It says this. Here's the reason he sent them this way. Lest the people change their minds. Let the people change their minds. Lest, or let the people change their minds. But when they see war, they would re- want to return to Egypt. He said... I don't want them to go through the lands of Philistines because it will discourage them and they're not ready to do what I've, I've, I have for them to do. And so God sends them way out of the way on his timetable to accomplish his purposes and to prepare his people for the ministry he has for them and to the land that they're going to. And I want to argue today that God is still doing that today. Our, he, does, he takes us on paths, and we don't understand them. We may not know where they're going, but we can look in the past and say, God has dealt with us favorably in the past, and he's been being good to us. And he led us through this time, and now he's working something good in us through it. And he's preparing us for something else. There's a quote that's been going around, and it's, it's been attributed to different people. I don't care who said it, but it's true. God rarely uses a person until he bruises him. God rarely uses a person until he bruises him or her first. And usually it's to to put steel in the backbones. It's (laughs) it's it's to do something, it's to prepare us for what God has for us in heaven to make us holy and also to prepare us for the ministry he has for us now. And I want to wrap it up with this. If you look at this, how did God lead them around? He did not use Apple Maps, thank God. This was not an accident that he's leading them this way. He used this, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When the disciples, remember this is given for our instruction. When the disciples were in the upper room after Jesus had resurrected and ascended, they were waiting for the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come. 
when the Holy Spirit came, this is in Acts chapter 4, when the Holy Spirit comes, how does he come? There's a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire hang above the heads of each of the people. Do you think that's an accident? Do you think God's like, oh, what a quinky dink. I didn't even think about that. Like, I, I was using the pillar of, I was using the, the cloud, and then I was, you know, called the whirlwind thing, and then I was using the fire in the Old Testament. And I, I can't believe I did that again in the New Testament. It's just a coincidence. No, just like he's not getting us lost, like Apple Maps, he's using the same imagery to show this. The people of God were led by a pillar, a cloud, a pillar, a cloud pillar, a rushing wind, a whirlwind, or something like that, and they were led by fire at night. And now the people of God, who have seen the, the full redemption, not of a lamb, but of Jesus, the lamb who was slain, now we are not led by this weird GPS that he had in the Old Testament. We are led by the Spirit of God indwelling us. And it says at the end of this, and if you look at the end of Exodus here, it says that, they, that the pillar of fire never left them. It was always with them. And so here's the, here's the thing. God meets you where you are to save you in your sin and in, in no hope you have. But once he saves you, he moves you, and he's going to take you on a path that will eventually prepare you for the ministry he has for you and prepare you for one day when you are on the new heavens and the new earth, making you holy and ready to do ministry now. And he does this through the leading of his Holy Spirit in us. And so my question to you is this. Have you moved? Are you moving? There's a lot of people that claim that you, you, you have, you've been saved. One of the ways that you can show the inner reality that you have been saved is that God is at work in your life, moving you towards holiness, moving you towards ministry, moving you towards, towards a holy life. Now, that movement may be slow, and it may have its ups and downs, okay? It may have more downs than ups, but there is still an upward trajectory. But have you, are you in the same place that you were? Five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. If that's you, you might not be in the faith. Or you might just be in in denial about what Jesus is calling you to as a disciple. He saves you, meets you where you are to move you towards him and towards ministry, towards holiness. And you can't stay where you've been. There are some people, and you've seen this, and it's a joke, that jump off the fashion bandwagon at some point. Okay, and I'm not talking like you're, you're like GQ, but you know that guy, and we used to have him in, in, in fact, I love, one of the guys I just got in mind when I think about his, he's a dear brother, but he stopped buying suits in 1970, and every day to church, when I was in Macon, he wore this polyester maroon suit with bell bottoms and a giant lapel. This was in the mid-2000, 2000, 2000, like, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you're still wearing, the, he's like, I'm still the same size, got the same suit, polyester tie, every Sunday doing that. Do you know what everybody, when they would see him, when the first time they walk in church, they'd be like, why? 
So he was like, this is good. I got off the fashion bandwagon in 1970, and it's still rocking for me. Most everybody else in the world would be like, nah, man. Do you remember, like, if you go back to the 90s and the MC Hammer pants? Terrible. You know, oh, 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 I mean, come on. Like, if that, yeah, that happened, okay? If you saw that today, you'd be like, that's jacked up, man. What are you doing? Our Christian life, your life might just be like that. If that's you, there's a problem. It's worse than looking bad. It's that God saves us, meets us where we are. We don't have to put on any airs. We don't have anything that gives us the victory. It's all his. It's through Christ. But he doesn't just save us to leave us in captivity and to leave us where we are. He saves us to move us. He's preparing us for for a life with him eternally, and he's preparing us, preparing us for the works he has set for us now. And he's using the Spirit of God and his word and his church to guide his people through this. And if we stay where we are, we are in detriment. It's a detriment to us. It's like this. It's like an adult man wearing diapers and having to, to wear, wearing a onesie and, and all that kind of stuff that a kid would do at 30. That would not be right. So you say something's wrong. And the same thing is true. I've been a Christian for 20 years, but I, have n- I don't know how to read my Bible any better than I did then. Something is wrong. I've been, I've been, I've been following the Lord, and, and I, but I'm still, I have these sinful behaviors and patterns in my life. I'm still hooking up with people that I'm not married to. I'm, I, I, I'm, still, I'm still into sin. I'm still, there's, there's pornography addiction. There's any number of things. There's greed in my life. There's no progression towards holiness. There's something really wrong with that, as much as you would be wrong as a 30-year-old acting like a baby. God saves his people to move his people. Now, as you look at this, the, move, the moves, God moves us in ways that we don't understand. But it's legitimate and it's true. And if, you, if there's no movement towards God, towards holiness in your life, you really need to consider your faith. And you really need to consider whether or not you're walking in truth. These were given... These stories, they really happen. They show God's redemption. But they were given for us for our instruction that we might not, we might not in, indulge our evil desires. And so may we walk in that truth. Let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to baptize somebody. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, that when we come to you today, we pray that, God, we wouldn't be moved. God, that you would move us. You, and we're thankful that you meet us where you are or where we are, but you bring us to where you are and where you want us. So I pray for each and every man and woman and child in this room today. God, would you meet them where they are and would you move them? And for the one who they're, grow, they have a, they're in ex- arrested development, God, would you break the chains of that arrested development? Help them move towards holiness. And that one who thinks they're in Christ but has no fruit of the Spirit in their life, God, would you show them their lostness? And Lord, would you, each of us, we all struggle in various ways, in many ways. God, would your grace be with us? Because you were so patient with the children in Israel. And we know you're still patient with us and you still love us and you still forgive us so many times. And if that we're faithful, that if we confess our sins, you're still faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
Help us to walk in that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Mitch and Tyler Graves up here. We're going to get to celebrate uh, the end of our service in a cool way today. Um, Tyler, come on up, buddy. You just saw Tyler. This is the second act for Tyler being up at the front. Um, Tyler uh, is just just uh, finishing up with uh, high school, and um, he, he's been coming to youth group, I don't know, about two years now, pretty much. And um, he's been coming to youth group, and... Um, God's been really working on his heart, and he asked him, he said, I want to be baptized. I said, do you understand what that means? He said, yeah, I think I do. I said, would you do me a favor? I said, would you write out a testimony for me? And he sure did. It was really good. He took, a two, he took like two pages, and it was single-spaced. I mean, he, went, he wasn't trying to like, you know, I didn't give him like a page link, but man, he was going for it. And he talks about his faith in Christ, and it was really cool. He talks about his life before Christ, and he talks about trusting Christ and what life like has been since then. And I want you to just give you another testimony of the fact that a, a road that, if we're talking about a road we don't expect, um, he was a football player and got hurt, had the traumatic brain injury, and everything, walking, everything, you had to relearn again. And God has used that weird path, that tough path, and God bless his parents for all the things that they've done, um, and he's used it to bring him to this point where he's wanting to trust the Lord, and he's even expressed a call to ministry, which is just Unbelievable. And um, I'm just very thankful for your faith in Jesus and uh, the way you've expressed it to me and the way that you continue to want to learn. And this guy is he's reading his Bible, and God is really at work. Um, in fact, usually at youth, we, he, he's like, I've been reading this first. And he says, and a lot of times, everybody's like, well, well yeah, we're, we're done now. And Tyler had that, and that was the thing that needed to be said. Um, but, Tyler, is it your desire in front of all these people to proclaim your faith through the symbol of baptism? And you believe that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and is your only hope for eternal life. <laughs> Amen. I don't know if you heard that. He said, absolutely. That's the right answer. And so if you would, I'm gonna, we're going to get you in this, in this tub that's super cold, and Mitch is going to baptize you because Mitch is one of the guys who's been helping us in, in ministry, and uh, we just want to do that. We all had a lot of folks helping us in youth ministry. We had Amy McAvoy, Amy Brown, Jimmy White. Um, we've had uh, Walter Swords come and help. We've had uh, Ashley Stacey come and help sometimes. Um, if I missed you, it's not because you're awesome. Jesse May has been here a couple of times. Yeah, super cold. Tom with the finger. Yeah, you good. <laughs> we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Amen to that. You're good, right? Okay. I forgot a towel. Hey, just run back, dude. This carpet will be fine. Let's get you out of there. We'll take you to the bathroom so you put your clothes on. Yeah, we don't want you to stay in the cold water. Oh, yeah, we had it under control. I have one in my car, but that doesn't help you any. So, Paul of the rescue. We're, we're a well-oiled machine here. You can go on to the back, buddy, and get dried off. Uh, we got, uh, yeah, amen. Brother Forrest, without any further ado, let's stand. He's going to dismiss us in prayer, and after he prays, we're dismissed. Father, we thank you for this awesome service. We thank you most of all, Lord, that you're here in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You thank you that our hearts is open to serve you. Father, I want to pray and bless the mothers that you bless them. And thank you for them. Father, I want to also lift this, these young people up to you as they begin their life journey. 
as they walk the ways, there'll be times that they'll need your help. May they look to you for guidance. I pray for this church, that Lord, that each one, that they'll look to you for guidance and thank you for their service. And Father, I thank you that you are the, the way, the way that we can go, that you're the life that we can live. And Father, most of all, that you're the truth, that we know this. Bless us now as we go to our home. Bless this church. Continue for it to grow, to lift up, and to be a mighty lighthouse in this city and Trouser County. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.